IntelliKey Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our website, pureintellikey.com. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. This is the podcast where we talk to leaders about how they're innovating and guiding and leading their organizations with a higher purpose, a higher vision to really reach their full potential. And today we're going to follow the money. Do the finances and the financial markets support the idea of conscious leadership? And if you've heard this term ESG in investing, we're going to break down the E, the S, and the G and see what it's all about. And we're talking with a great expert today, Monique Skrezny. Monique, welcome to our program. Thank you very much, Mark and Kirsten. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. And Kirsten, this is an area that you know and have lived and appreciate maybe even more than most. It is. And I I have had the pleasure of working with Monique. We were a smaller company than she was used to, but was kind enough to engage us for our investor relations in her previous organization. So it is. It's really great to see each of us continuing to expand and stepping into a new conversation about conscious leadership and really taking accountability for the sustainability of our world, you know, all of the factors within that. It's exciting. And I think the question that we'll explore is, can a company, can an investor make money while still doing good? And when we think about a global impact, we have listeners in 22 countries, 5,000 listeners now over the last nearly 100 interviews that we've done. Yeah, we're really going to be talking to a lot of different people all over. So I guess, Monique, maybe we'll start there. And when we say a global impact, what's, what's the state of the state now with this idea of conscious impact? Well, I think when we think about ESG, and we'll break break it down a little bit. So environmental is the E, S stands for social, and G stands for governance. And sometimes it's also referred to just generally as sustainability. And so either sustainability investing, or I have a sustainability strategy, or I just want to sustain my business and sustain my company. So it has certainly been around for a long time. And there are many, many companies, if I talk about companies or industries, that, you know, in order to have a license to operate, they had to be focused on some elements of this. So any company in the extractive industries, your miners, your pulp and paper companies as well, and any companies that deal with our natural resources had to have some focus on environmental impact and what that, what by doing business, they were how they were impacting the communities and you know and the world. And one thing that I had I think I mentioned that I know Kirsten knows that we do a lot of work in South America and particularly in Brazil. And Brazilian companies have many of them have been on the forefront of this as you know stewards of the world's uh, rainforest. Um, you know some of the biggest companies in energy and mining and oil and gas and so these companies have had to have a focus in order to continue to operate on environmental issues. Um, And then what we saw was back in the 2000s with some things like Enron happening and scandals where we had huge bankruptcies that really impacted very small, you know, people's pension funds, their 
their children's college funds. Um, you know, the world took note and said, you know, investors require more governance and they require more stewardship of these companies. And so a very important act was put in place, Sarbanes-Oxley in 2002, which made companies really think more about governance. So we have some companies thinking about environment. All companies listed have to have, you know, minimums around governance. And then there are companies like Etsy, which really is an amazing company that has had a huge impact on the social side, you know, creating opportunities for small entrepreneurs to really find platforms, Etsy, eBay, companies like that. Um, and so the social aspects have also been important as well, but not until, you know, a few years ago, did we start seeing that all coming together more holistically where companies have thought about, you know, we need to have strategies and not just strategies, not just talk about it. We need to actually execute on these different fronts. And that was driven from a couple of different areas. One was employees. They care about this. They want to be at conscious companies. Um, they want to work for companies that think that doing good is good for business. Um, millennials, Gen Zs, all of these folks are part, a big part of the workforce today, and it's important to them. But they're also the people that are investing. And those are all the people that are putting away for retirement one day and investing in funds like Fidelity and Vanguard and putting their money in Schwab and all these places that we might be putting away money for the future. And they're demanding that those investors also think about this and think about screening and investing in companies that are consciously focused on executing against strong ESG that have purposes. So we're, we saw a lot of that coming together, beginning to come together, but with the beginning of the pandemic, it accelerated. And what we've seen today is um, you know the this sort of slow growth of consciousness around you know doing good and consciousness around investing has all come to a head in this in the last year and a half as we've sort of we wanted to see our a move in that direction. That's a big change, just even I've been out now for about a year and a half now, and that was not in any of our discussion at all. Like it didn't even matter if an employee was happy or treated well, right? So this notion of conscious leadership is a shift. And, you know, it, Mark, you recall, we had Erica Ufendel and we had Takatoshi who really are some leaders in this conscious leadership arena. Monique, what are you finding? Are leaders having to adapt even if they don't believe in it? And how are you finding that change occurring? Like what's the underbelly of that beast? There are a couple of elements. I mean, a, a pure sort of, let's talk about a business element is it has been shown that companies that have an ESG focus perform, they throw off better returns. So if you look at indices of companies that have an ESG bent versus those that do not, not only in the last year, but even if you look further back, they have thrown off better returns. So that creates demand for stocks 
of companies that have those practices. And when you have demand for stocks or the bonds of those kind of companies, the cost of capital, the, the ability for these companies to finance their activities goes down. So from a pure business perspective, it's smart to be going in this direction. That's one way to look at it. The other way though, and this is something that we saw, um, it was dramatic, dramatic change, was you know when you listen to earnings conference calls, I don't think you have to, I hope you don't have to do much of that anymore. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't <laughs> in a year and a half. I just have to say, yeah. I have a yeah. feeling it's coming back again, but yeah. you know. Yeah. It is yeah. a, it's a hobby I gave up. It's a hobby, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, for those of us where it's, you know, it is our, it's our daily lives and quarter after quarter, I'm not only listening, but writing the speeches of CEOs, um, you know, with the onset of the pandemic, in the same way that if you have a crisis, any kind of crisis, CEOs were expected to say something about it, to acknowledge what was going on in the world, acknowledge what was going on in their workforce, and then importantly, talk about what they were doing. And this was happening for everyone. And so whether it was a CEO that um, was never really thought of as very a compassionate, there are many that are very compassionate and, and, and express themselves in that way, and many that are very dry and to the point. But if they didn't say something like this in their speeches, they would be penalized. And so a lot of these, um, they were forced. Some For some, it was not forced. It, they would, when we would have discussions about, so how do you want to open your conference call this quarter? Well, many of them would say, of course, we have to acknowledge what's going on in the world. And of course, we need to talk about um, the efforts that we're making and how we're committing to, to help. So that was great that was happening across the board. And as that was happening, it, not only did they realize it was benefiting them, you know, their, their personal reputations, the corporate reputations, how the public viewed the company, but they really saw the benefits from their employees as well coming in that direction that employees really want to hear that management cares and management cares about them and their companies. Yeah. Yeah, and I wondered, you know, you were mentioning that companies that do have concentration on sustainability are generating, you know, better revenues and better profits and returns. But that hasn't always been the case. I mean, I do recall even telling my advisor, look, I'm not investing in individual stocks. So I'm looking at these mutual funds and there's a big bank that I don't like. There's a tobacco holding company I don't like. There's somebody who's dumping oil in my uh, Gulf offside, my home state. I don't want to invest in. So, I mean, but there wasn't any choice. You'd say, well, you know, but they're not going to make money like these companies are. So, you know, as an investor saving for retirement, you were kind of stuck on this list. How has that changed? Well, and I would bring up the fact that there's definitely uh, research out there that that says, you know, ESG companies as a group are not necessarily, because they have strong ESG uh, focuses or filters that you can apply to them, there are there is a body of research that says that's not really the reason why they're performing better. The fact is, is there's a very high correlation between companies that have sound balance sheets 
and strong um, and that are less risky and those that have an ESG bent. So it also- Oh, that's interesting. Category, right. So you can, so you could also look at, and some academics have done this and stripped out the ESG element and said, well, these companies all have very strong balance sheets too. And in the environments that we've been working through in the, through a pandemic in the last few years, those companies would have done well anyway. So there's, you know, there's questions on both sides always. And I think at the end of the day, you have to follow your moral compass. And what is happening though, is that even companies like the oil and gas, in the oil and gas sector, which I have clients, the good news is that every single one of them is thinking about the, um, is thinking about climate change, is thinking about how they are going to shift their portfolios over time to more renewable energy sources. The reality is many of you can't expect this to happen overnight, right? And there is of course a need for consistent energy of which mm -hmm. oil and gas plays a role today, but there's not a one of them that's not thinking about doing that. And I would say five, 10 years ago, there would be a lot of them that would have stood up and said, we're not doing that. The same thing with the auto industry. I mean, if we looked at the auto industry, we had you know, the GMs and the Fords of the world fiercely defending the gas model. And today, if you look at Ford marketing and advertising, GM marketing, it's all about electric. Yeah, that, yeah. I think it's interesting. interesting. How, and some of that's been market pressure for sure. And, you know, Kirsten, you reminded me one of uh, Erica Ufendel's points and uh, a group that she was a part of, the Medinga Group, has also put out the notion that not just is it millennial or Gen Z, this, this is not a generational uh, age demographic driver, but there's a generation co, they called it, a conscious generation that might cross many of these typical generational boundaries. Uh, are you finding that that's the market pressure that's bringing these companies along? It's, it's overall market pressure that's happening. I agree with you. I think it's, you know, the largest workforce, which again, those, you know, a lot of this, as I've mentioned before, is was originally driven by pension funds and pension funds are, you know, huge repositories of trillions of dollars that get put to work and they have a lot of say um, and they're long-term investors. So, there's that, but I think that um, it's certainly, I, I buy into the fact that it goes across age and across demographics and across ethnicity, um, this greater focus on a greater good and really thinking about climate change and food scarcity and all of these things that are impacting everyone. Mm. And, and Monique, you run an organization yourself. I think the number is 2535 personnel yourself. And, you know, I was grateful for your team. You had a wonderful team that supported me and the work that you did. How do you find even your organization? How do you motivate them? I mean, you had to go through this yourself the last two years, right? As we're going, we had a lot of stuff even here in the US. We had George Floyd. We have, you know, the Asian American conversation. We have the female conversation and females losing the jobs at high rates right now. 
uh, how are these conversations driving your, what you do? I know you have a high commitment to these issues. You know, how are other companies and you using this to even amplify and go beyond where we're at? Mm-hmm. Well, it's been very interesting because, um, yeah, we are a little over 25 and we are in the United States and in South America have team members. We happen to also be a woman-led and owned firm, which is rare in my space. You know, we're often the only women in the room. Thankfully, I'm seeing, you know, in my almost 30 years of uh, working in finance, I'm seeing those numbers change. And I happily, I have a number of primarily CFO female clients of very large listed companies. So um, that's exciting. Um, it definitely, you know, we, we have been working remotely because we have these disparate teams for a while. And I think that it's been really important. Um, it, I became acutely aware of how important it is to really try to understand what motivates the team, you know, how the team feels, touching base, especially because we're not all physically together. And with the pandemic, so many of us, so many of our clients, colleagues, everyone has are isolated. We're working in an isolated fashion. So it amplified the work that I had always been thinking about doing anyway, which was um, I tried to lead by example. I love being a mentor. I like creating mentorships within our organization, but it really made that effort. Um, it became a bigger effort. And I am grateful because I have a great team that allows me to spend time thinking about managing and managing well, and not so much busy work doing with my clients. So I think it's really important for leaders to allocate an important amount of their time thinking about and executing on leadership within an organization. And it's not just client service and it's not just execution of whatever your product or service is, it's how do you serve your team? And so I do spend a lot of time thinking about how I serve and how I can serve my team better. That, you know, I, you're the second person in two days that I've heard, you know, it's not enough to just focus on customer service. Well, but so many companies now are recognizing, I mean, I, I love that we even started this conversation by saying it was the employees who said, this is the kind of company I want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And so as a decision to even join a company, and we, we know that uh, we're in a market <laughs> trying to attract talent in almost every industry here. So there's a competition for those great employees. But they're also, you know, will I stay, put my uh, sweat and tears into this? So there's a lot to that, that I wasn't expecting that that would be such a main factor. Well, it rolls. I, I think that I, I certainly shifted as I matured. I think I, I would always have thought to put the customer first. The reality is, is they're not first for any of my customers that are listening out there. I mean, you're important, but actually my employees are first. And, um, and if the team is not happy and motivated, then they're not doing their best for our customers. And so um, it is to our customer relationship benefit that we are putting our, our team first. And I think that's particularly important for professional services where you know, what I have to offer 
is, my, our, is the brain capacity of individuals that work on our team. And if they're motivated and they're, um, you know, they take self-care and we're caring for them, then they're doing their best for our clients. They're doing their best work. That is a paradigm shift. I'm just going to swoop in a little bit of, you know, the body, mind, spirit, soul. If you take care of the individual in totality, we're not going to have the burnout. We're not going to have the heart attacks. We're not going to have the family divorces that we've seen through many of the leadership bodies, right? The employees feel that as well. That trickles all the way down. So when we're focusing on the teams, we have the ability to support them in reaching their fullest potential if they have the opportunity to take care of themselves, right? Which is something they, I mean, my generation did not say, go take care of yourself and then come back to work, right? My generation was how you left your your desk for five minutes to go to the bathroom, (laughs) right? Like that wasn't allowed. You didn't take your phone, you're, you know, I I mean, I remember my CEO, I went to the bathroom and I didn't take my phone. And he said, you don't do that again right? You don't know what's going to happen. I was like, wait, I can't even go to the bathroom anymore. You know, like we got, we got here. <laughs> you already have me seven days a week. Now I can't even go to the bathroom. So I, I love that you're talking about the well-being of your people because you're right. It does make, I mean, there are returns. It's proven that these returns can occur when people have, are not exhausted and drained. They can give yeah. a better product. It's true. I mean, I wish I could say that um, that I have a you know a team that is rested and um, you know fully on and all the relationships are perfect, but it's just it's not the case. And I think you know in these times have created a lot more stress of having children at home. If you have children, um, of just being again isolated. Some people don't function as well when they're alone, physically alone. Um, there are so many, you know, we, we've, I've had uh, colleagues that, that had COVID. I, I got COVID and, you know, it was, there are times when, and that's when you realize is that, you know, people are stepping in and, and saying, just rest, relax, don't even think about this. So I, my feeling is that you can't always, I wish we could always say, you know, take all the time off you need. You can't, there, there are demands. But I, what I found is that my team really appreciates the fact that we care and we're asking each other, how are you feeling? And what can I do for you? And okay, you've worked really hard over the last week. Just take Monday, Tuesday off. You don't, you know, forget it. We're, we're not working a Saturday, you know, five day Saturday, Sunday rest. If you had to work and you want to take an extra day, go for it. So the, I think those are the realities of how we're working today. I agree. I think that's well said. Well, and what does the future look like if we could periscope a little bit, uh, Monique, and get your point of view on this? Where do we go from here? We've come from, you know, it's a nice to have to it's almost an essential part of leadership's story. But then what do you see as the future? Yeah, well, I think it's a must. I think that we are going to continue to see more compassion coming out of CEOs. Um, it's it's demanded. It's it's hard to go backwards on that, to be a nice guy and, or gal and then not be that anymore. Get back to business. I think that they have enjoyed 
doing that. And I have to say that my, um, you know, certainly now when I, I have calls, you know, it, it was interesting at the beginning of this new paradigm of working where we all had to go to Zoom, people would get dressed up, you know, they'd put images behind their Zoom screen so you couldn't see their home behind them or the office. Um, it, was, it was sort of the formality of a business meeting coming to Zoom. Today, I mean, the number of beards, they, you know, the kids sitting on the laps, nobody puts their backgrounds on anymore. And it's, I think it's really hard to step back from humanity. I mean, I think what has happened is that this sort of, even the most corporate of corporate people have had the opportunity to let down that guise and, and be more human in their conversations around business, which has made them more compassionate towards us. For instance, is I don't, you know, if I have somebody that says, look, I'll, you know, we need you just to deliver that by tomorrow morning. And I say, well, you know, I think we're going to have to, we, we might need another day to get it going, you know, so-and-so's. I can feel, I can say, you know, my colleague has to um, manage her son at home and they get it because they have to do the same thing too. And we right. never would have said that before. And now we can, and there's no putting that back in the bag. So I do think that um, that will continue. I do know that many of my uh, colleagues, partners, friends, and other professional services have said outright some of, you know, I'm never going back to the office full time because, you know, I want to spend more time with my family and I want to be, have this flexibility. So it's gonna, the future is, the future may not look like what we have today, but I think it's going to be certainly some kind of mix between um, what we had before, which was, yes, I think people are going to go back to some level of formality but no, I think they will, it will not always be like that. People will be more human in their conversations to the market and to their employees. So I, I think we're on a good path that way. That's wonderful. Well, Monique, we can't thank you enough for the conversation. Really appreciate your experience and your insights on this. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure to be able to talk about this. And Kirsten, I know you'll be continuing the conversation. Yeah, we will. We have our salties every other week and really elevating each other individually and collectively and in communities. So we just keep the conversations moving. Well, listeners, our guest has been Monique Skrezny. She's the CEO of a company called the Inspire Group. And I love the branding. It's Inspire IR because it's all about investor relations and strategic storytelling and really the, the meaningful connections that have to be made. And we've covered a lot of that landscape today that it is possible to make money while also doing good for your people, good for the planet and good for your employees and your investors and so forth. So all the stakeholders can benefit. Thank you, Mark. And thank you, Kirsten. And um, congratulations on this tremendous podcast series. Well, thank you. And listeners, come okay. back again for our next episode. We'll continue conversations just like this with leaders, conscious leaders from all over the world who are doing good in so many areas, but also working to achieve their own intelligence, their soul's purpose. So for Kirsten Gouldy, I'm Mark Stenson, and this has been Intelliki Leadership Stories. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories.
subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. On behalf of your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stinson, thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. If you like IntelliKey Leadership Stories, I want to tell you about another podcast I host called Unlocking Your World of Creativity. Each episode features an expert from somewhere around the globe that tells us about how they get inspired, how they organize their ideas, and how they gain the confidence and connections to get their work out into the world. From singer-songwriters to entrepreneurs, on topics like data analytics to hotel management, we talk to experts from Milan and Oslo, Buenos Aires and Los Angeles, all over the globe to bring you the best ideas and inspiring your creative thinking you can find Unlocking Your World of Creativity wherever you listen to podcasts.